are listening to Riverbend Church Podcast. To learn more about us and to connect, go to our website at riverbendchurch.life. Good morning again, church. So good to see you. We are in... uh, week four of Elephant in My Family series. And so if you're just now joining today, uh, you're brand new here, I want to say a special welcome to you. If you're down in the theater this morning, uh, a special welcome to you. And all those joining online today, don't just sit out there, let us know that you are with us. We'd love to know how we can pray, love to know just that you're there, or if you're new and you've kind of been tuning in, let us know that. But as we jump into week four of Elephant in My Family, Let me explain what elephant in my family is. We all know what an elephant in the room is, right? That lurking tension that everyone experiences from time to time when there's an unpleasant uh, issue we don't want to address, but we know it's there. Everybody sees it, but we really don't want to say it. Well, it's the same thing in our family. Those tensions that lurk, and we think maybe there could be freedom from them, but we're not sure, or at least it's too uncomfortable to go there. So, Even though these conversations are difficult to have and some truth is hard to hear, this is just us as a church saying for a couple more weeks, uh, we're just going to say we're going to have the conversations anyway because once we finally own it and expose it, the fact that it's here and it's in our lives, then it's very real that Jesus can bring freedom and the truth of his word can bring freedom. And so we base this entire series on a a word Jesus spoke, a a line from uh, one of his teachings. He said this, You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And I truly believe that's what people want. We go, man, I want freedom. I desire that. But the route to getting to freedom is what uh, seems to be different in every aspect of the world. Until you get here, Jesus said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And he tells us in John 14 that he is the truth. And so by this, here's what we do. We acknowledge that it's not only knowing about the truth, that sets us free, but it's application, obedience. And so to own the elephant in our family, to put a name on it, and then to seek his truth out and go, God, I don't just wanna just like hear the pastor sermon or even open the word and hear what it says. I'm gonna apply it because that's where true, uh, freedom will come. And so today, the elephant that I wanna talk to you about is what I'll call the most practical one that we'll talk about in the whole series. Every person in the room knows the, the weight and the lurking tension And I'll say that up front. I do not think today's elephant is a problem that you will ever solve. I think it is a family tension and a single tension and a parenting tension that you will live in for the rest of your life. All of us will. We have to learn to navigate it and to live in this tension. And here's what it is. Reckless stewardship. This is the elephant, reckless stewardship. So I want to unpack this today a little bit because it sounds kind of harsh to start with. But I believe that this one thing creates as much family tension as any other thing we've talked about so far. Did you know that from the very beginning of time, if you turn your Bible over to the, you know, the first chapter, what you'll find is in the beginning, God created. And when he created everything in creation, he created man, he created woman. You know what he did? He looked at them and he said, I want you to steward what I have created you know that stewardship is something that God designed for us to do? Like he created the world and this valuable resource he handed over to people that he loved. And he said, there's freedom for you to be creative. There's freedom for you to govern it. There's freedom for you to have domain over it. We forget that sometimes. God set us from the very beginning of time over creation to steward it. 
And so this owner of the creation handed it over to the created because he loved us and he wanted to give us this. But if God has designed us to be stewards and called us to it, why then do we get reckless sometimes with our stewardship? If we're called from the very beginning, why do these tensions show up? I want to give you a few questions to kind of discern and determine if you own this elephant. And by elephant, I mean it's been lurking. There's a tension when it comes to this. And these are painful questions. They were painful questions for me. I think for some of you, there's one of them you're gonna go, ugh, I don't really like that question a lot. Why? It's because there's a lurking tension behind it. But if you'll hang with me today, I wanna show you some things Jesus said that I think can truly bring some freedom. And so let's determine if we own this elephant, this reckless stewardship elephant. First, do I constantly say to myself or others, I don't have enough time or money? You're like, yes, we all say that, right? Everybody, I think, says that at some point, I don't have a much time, time, enough time or money. Now, the question becomes, how much is enough? You know what the answer is? More. That's always the answer. I've never talked to someone wrestling with this. They say, yeah, I have everything that I need. But it's a great question, how much is enough? Do you know if this tension is in your life, all you ever do is feel inadequate and stressed out? like you're less than other people, like your calendar and your bank statement tell you what to do instead of you ever having any decision or creativity in what you do with your life. So here's another question to determine. If this elephant lurks in your life, do I look back on each season of my life with regret for time I didn't spend with the people I love? Maybe there could be regrets for other things, but I heard of one dad who was broken as he looked back through his kids' pictures because, you know, the obvious missing thing from the pictures was him. They had everything else. He provided everything else they ever needed, but the obvious missing thing was him, and there was brokenness. Now, here's what we do with brokenness and regret. One, we let it drive us to change and go, you know what, Lord, I need forgiveness to move forward. The other thing is we numb it. We find something to numb that regret because it's always there. It's a lurking tension when you look back in your life. Now, here's the hope. I'm gonna show you something this morning that I think can help you. The third question is this. Is my life, family, constantly paralyzed by debt? Looked up some stats this week. A quarter, uh, this quarter in America, household debt increased to a staggering 14.96% trillion dollars. That's trillion dollars. There are 332 million people in our country. And so if you took from the uh, youngest newborn to the oldest person alive, every person of the 332 and divide it evenly, every person in the United States has $45,000 of debt. That's the average. Isn't that crazy? And so the lurking tension that is there is how do I ever climb out of this hole? How do I learn to manage it Better And so the thing is, the majority of the people who have debt, uh, there's a a large percentage is mortgages, but there's an even larger percentage that's credit card debt, store cards, and other loans. Another thing to add, the vast majority of people in debt do not live, according to stats, at the poverty level. They live far above the poverty level. 75% live well above. Most bankruptcies also come from people who have and make plenty of money, but guess what? This takes over their life constantly. You go, I want to be more generous, like I really do. I'm trying to follow Jesus, and I want to be a more giving person. I want to be open-handed. But the truth is, when this elephant, this tension moves in behind the scenes, it's like more is never enough. More is never enough. 
And here's the deal. The times, at times you're hit with unexpected things, and I know this. This can come from a hospital bill. Courtney and I know that very well uh, from, from my oldest son that we got hit out of the blue one time. And you know what? At that, there are certain seasons where you've planned every way you can, and it, you just have to fall on the grace and mercy of God, and you also have to be humble enough to let people come around you, and that's, that's hard at times. But this is us just owning this and saying, if I feel this all the time, is there something I can do? And so when it comes to this lurking tension, it can be what you worry about, what you go to bed worrying about. How am I gonna pay for? How am I gonna take care of kids? And I think in this season of our life that we've been in, it's a very real one. It's a very real tension that keeps people stalled out even in their faith journey because there's so much pressure on top of them. It can be what you argue about. In fact, it could even be what you argued about in the car on the way to church this morning. You'd never tell the pastor that, right? But it literally could be. Vast majority of divorces that happen, you know one of the culprits? Money. Money struggles. Money issues. And so if you think it's just you, I just want to look at you and say, it is not. It has hit all of us. And it doesn't matter how much you have. That stress hits our home. And so here's the, the, I guess, the blessing in me laying out this in this way this morning. Whenever we look at Scripture, what you'll find is Jesus addressed stewardship all the way through the Old Testament. It addresses stewardship. And then fast forward to the pastor, Paul, who writes to the church. He addresses stewardship. So it was something that we can go back to our brothers and sisters from years ago and go, even in a totally different society, where they didn't have maybe some of the pressures we have, they wrestled with this idea. And so if they did, I, I find comfort in me too. I find comfort looking back and go, well, Lord, they did. They were right close to the fire where the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church and they wrestled. And so we wrestle too. And it just makes me feel good to know that I'm not the only one who's wrestled with all three of these questions answering yes in my lifetime. And you know what? The tension's always there. It can come back on you. And so Matthew 25 in your Bible, we find some hope from a story that Jesus told. Here's what he said. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants. He entrusted his money to them while he was gone. Now he trusted the servants a lot. He gave uh, five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it, and this is the key words, in proportion to their ability. So he knew these guys really well. He then left and went on his trip. And so I did a little digging this week because I've, I've, I've looked at this story before, uh, but trying to figure out, like the, the NLT translates it five bags of silver. Uh, and some of the, I think ESV, one of your older Bible translations, it translates it talent. Um, it says talents. And so all of it can kind of get be misleading. So, you know, when you dive into the original language here, what you find these five and two and one, it's actually a weight measurement in the Greek language. And so we don't know exactly how much weight of what was the money. And so there's sort of speculation. But here's one of the, the, the kind of common uh, findings that scholars who've looked at this found is that one talent or one bag in this story would have been equivalent to 20 years wages for an average worker. And so I go, whoa, 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 let me, let me do a little figure in here. So if you made a little above average money, you could easily be talking about $5 million, $2 million, and $1 million. And I'm going, okay, I thought he slipped him a 50, a 20, and a 10. You know what I mean? And we're talking, he, he, the, the master said, hey, servants, come in. 
Here's you five mil, here's you two mil, here's you one mil, and I'm leaving. I'm going on a trip. And so, based on the estimates, this man was loaded because he handed this out. And you know, at the point when we look at our lives, God has given us a lot to steward. It's not ours, but he's given us so much to steward. And so he divides it up according to their what? Abilities. Do you know one of the things that is killing the church and killing people and killing our faith and killing our testimony? It's when we get uh, ability envy. You know, we want what somebody else has because they have the ability to do something we don't have. And then, and then all of a sudden, we all start feeling inferior and insecure. And guess what? It takes you out from even using the thing that God has given you to use, what he's steward, given you to steward. And so he divides it up according to their abilities. He heads out on the trip. And so the idea is, hey, servants, when I get back, I want you to show me the money. If you ever seen Jeremy McGuire, show me the money like I'm coming back and I'm giving you five and two and one. And when I come back, I want to see what you've done with this. And so here's what it says. Verse 16, the servant who received five bags of silver began to invest the money. And so there's sort of an immediate action here. I have five million dollars and I'm going to invest it. And what did he do? He earned five million more. I mean, that's a pretty good return, right? The servant with two bags of silver went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, and here's the third element we're gonna talk about today, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. And so we don't know how long it was. The master left and just said, I'll be back. Go invest my money. Go steward what I've given you. And it's kind of that way with us, isn't it? We don't know how much time we have, but the truth is, we know that we've been entrusted with a lot. Now, when I looked at this story, do you know what I usually see just naturally? Money. God's given us money and stuff to steward, and we need to be good stewards. But as I kind of read it over and over again, I found three elements of stewardship in the money. So I'm actually going to start with what are in the story, what I call the most important one. And the first one is this. Here's how we acknowledge what we've been given. The first one is time. So let me explain this. Time. Time is the predetermined days and hours we have on earth, meaning God already knows our life. And you go, does that mean we're robots? And no, God loves us. And so there's freedom. But you have an all-knowing God who sits outside of time. One day when we get to heaven, we won't be watching clocks. Time is a created thing that we live in right now. Our heavenly father lives outside of time. And so time is for us on earth, the predetermined days and hours that we have on earth. Now, It is also our most valuable, non-renewable resource. More than the money, more than anything else we'll talk about today, this one is something that you cannot get more of. The frustrating thing is, we don't know how long we have. The master went away for a long time in the story, and they had no idea how to check. They couldn't stop by the time ATM, put their card in to see what they had. They couldn't pull up an app and go, oh, here's how much we have left. That would freak us out if we knew it anyway. Let's be real. You think you want to know until you know, and then you're like, shoot. Then depression and anxiety sets in because you know. So God doesn't tell us. But what he says is, I'm going away, and I will come back in the same way that you saw me go, right? 
And we don't know when that's gonna be. He said, we can know the signs of the time, but the day or the hour, no one knows except the Father. All we know is there will be a return of the Lord. In fact, in just a few weeks, we're gonna kick off a series called Living for the Return. And we're gonna study the book of First and Second Thessalonians and look at some end time stuff that God has got me all fired up about. And I can't preach that message right now. I gotta go back to this one. But man, I'm, I love it. God has set a time and a season And so verse 16 tells us the servant who received five and two, what did they do? Immediately invest with the time that they had. They didn't seem like they wasted any time. They got straight to it. And so God has given us a predetermined amount of time before Jesus returns, which I know many of us are going, God, we kind of see the signs. It's a crazy world we live in. Or our life on earth ends. We have to live with the reality this morning that one or the two are gonna happen to us We're either gonna still be breathing when Jesus returns or these bodies are gonna be gone and our spirit will move on into eternity. So one or the other is coming for us. Like we don't get a choice in that. It will happen, it's a fact. I think this is why the great leader Moses prayed this prayer. And I prayed this prayer in my life before, Psalm 90, 12. He said, God, teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom Another translation says, Lord, teach me to number the days. Teach me to count the days so I can make the days count. And it's an awareness that our days are actually numbered. This stewardship of time that God has given you, did you know that there is sort of a way that we can at least average it out? Hence my Skittles this morning. So the average age in Georgia, you know what it is right now, 2021, 74 years. 74 years old. That's 3,848 weeks. I don't know about you, that just sounds really short. When I start thinking in Sundays, like 3,800 Sundays, that's all I get to live. 26,936 days. That sounds like a small number to live. Like, God, I only get 26,000 days. And you go, well, what if I live beyond that? Praise the Lord, that's a blessing. But if I just look at the average span right now that God has given us on this earth, I get 646,000 hours or 39 million minutes. I like that number better because it's like I got millions of minutes. (laughs) Here's the crazy thing though. Whether we live a little less or, or a lot more somewhere in there, I mean, it gives us an idea that at birth, 74 years old, I mean, at birth, if you have 74 years, let's just say that starts here. So this is when you're born. These are the formational years of your life are happening in the first few Skittles that get taken out of this jar. But by the time... You're 21 years old, guess what? You're already here. So for the 20-year-olds in the rooms and the 25-year-old in the rooms who feel like you got forever, now you do have a long time, Lord willing. But let's just be real. If you don't start stewarding it right now, you'll be here before you realize it with regret. So today I wanted to show you what it looks like from the time you're born, you know, a third of the way through the average lifespan By the time you get 37 years old, guess what? Some of you are really depressed right now too. You look at this, you're like, I looked at this and I said, you know what, Lord, I'm beyond this. I'm at 41 years old, so my my jar is technically more empty than that. I mean, unless God just decides to give me a really long life, my jar is more empty than that. And so the reason we get depressed is we look, look what I don't have, but can I flip the script and go, but look what you do have? They're not gone yet. If you're breathing in this room this morning, look what you do have still. Your heart is beating. 
You have breath in your body. You have the spirit of God working in and around you. The Lord has given you a spirit. He's given you a purpose. Some of you have counted yourselves out simply, simply because you're closer to here. And this is just me as your friend and your pastor getting in your grill this morning and saying, stop it. You gotta use your time that God has given you. When you're 60 years old, according to the average lifespan, here's where you are. Why is it, why is it, why is it that sometimes we wait until we get here to start stewarding our time? And again, you look at this and go, well, I don't have, I look at what I don't have, but look what you do have. Let me put it in perspective for you. The reason I say, look what you do have. Do you know how long Jesus Christ lived on the earth? 33 years-ish. Do you know how long he did ministry? Three years. Did you know that in that time, he fulfilled his complete calling? He did everything. He didn't waste any time and he didn't miss anything. And he didn't have nearly this much. 33 years, the Messiah, the one that has saved us, the one that came and paid a price for us, he did it in 33 years. What could we do in three years time if we got serious about stewardship? Take a note from Jesus, change the world. Literally in three years time, he did it. And so when we say we don't have enough time, I hope the voice of Jesus pops up and says, I had three years. You're like, shoot, man, I don't like this. Not only is time, uh, not, not, not only time resource, but we see in verse 15 that the master gave uh, money to each one based on his or her abilities to manage what was given and so again, money's gonna be at the bottom of the list today because I think even a more valuable resource uh, would be the gifts that we've been given. And here's what I'm gonna call that, talent. I'm gonna call that talent. The God-given abilities, skills, and spiritual gifts that we have. That falls in the category of talent. When you think of talent, you just think, oh, I can play the piano or I can sing or I can do you know, something, and that's my talent. But I'm kind of using this old school word and lumping it all underneath it here. So you have time, but you have talent. God-given abilities. These are things that you can do it just because it's in your DNA. You probably frustrate someone else in your life because something comes so easy to you and it's so hard for them. And it's just because God wired it into you. And then also skills. Now skills, skills the thing of skills. They may be locked inside of you, but skills have to be developed. Skills have to be something you go, you know what, I'm gonna work hard on this. I see myself being able to be good at this, but I need to work. And then spiritual gifts, the moment you say yes to Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And a part of that is you have now spiritual gifts, anointing that you did not have before. Many times your anointing simply works with your skills and abilities. It's not, sometimes it's sold as this separate thing that's way over here. God designed you to put his spirit in you from the get-go. And so usually what you're already good at, the anointing will come. Now, you also will receive a spiritual gift that you didn't have before. But measuring this requires us to be honest with ourselves and willing to work hard. And this is the caveat and why a lot of people stall and live with this lurking tension of I'm not using my talent in life. Look what Paul said here. To the Roman church, he said, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you a warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. That's a great verse. That's a great verse to put on your mirror and remind yourself. I know we struggle with insecurity, but let's just be real. We struggle with pride too. Just put it on your mirror and go, hey, don't you think, some of you wives are gonna be using this one this week. Let me quote a little scripture to you before you go to work today, hon. Don't you think you're better than you are? 
Be honest in your evaluation. Here's where it gets down to your abilities, your spiritual giftings, your abilities, your skill set. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith that God has given us. And so he wants us to be honest with ourselves. You know why? It's back to that ability envy, that gift envy again. We will waste all our time worried about what somebody else has because we've been evaluating ourselves by their standard instead of by the one God has called us to. So many people get stalled because they go, well, I'm not a preacher, that's not my calling. Well, praise the Lord. I mean, everybody doesn't need to do this. We need a few of these and we need a lot of people covering the grounds, doing what you're good at, fulfilling your calling. I finally found mine and it took me a lot of years and God had to beat the mess out of me to finally get me here. It's a long story, but he had to beat me up to finally get me to the place of going, all right, Lord, I surrender to my calling, what you created me for. But Paul says we have to be honest in our evaluation of ourselves. Look what he's given you. Sometimes you get so fixated on what other people have that you can miss the gifts. Some of you have gifts of love and mercy. So maybe you have gifts of helps. You have gifts of leadership. And God wants you to just take inventory and go, if he's wired that into you, he wants you to use it in your family, in your workplace, everywhere that you go, but until you get honest with yourself, and then the hard work part comes in where you go, God, I see that there's some abilities and skill sets you've kind of given me an aptitude for, and now I have to work hard. In my opinion, that should be the reason if you go to college or you go to school or you go back to school, the reason should be, God, I've seen you, you've given me something that I have the aptitude for, and I need to pursue it. It has become in our day something of like, you just do that mindlessly and just go away. I'm much more, uh, when I look at students now, I'm like, find out what God has placed in your heart and then run after that thing. Run after that passion and that desire that's in you. And maybe it's starting with school. But you know what? It may be learning a skill set. It may be doing an apprenticeship. It may be growing in other ways as you also you know, go to school and seek it. But here's what I'm saying. You have to develop what God has given you instead of letting someone else tell you what you're supposed to do with your life. The last stewardship treasure uh, resource is treasure. It was given in the story, and this seems to be the theme of the story, but as we find time and talent are huge, but treasure, five million, two million, one million entrusted to the servants. But see, in our story, the treasure goes way beyond bank account in our story, and so I wanna show you what treasure is. Treasure is this, every person to be loved and possession to be invested that God has given us. Every person to be loved and every possession to be invested. And here's the caveat, more money can be earned, but more time with people you love can't be bought. So he's saying you matter means stewarding treasure you have for the sake of the kingdom. It is about money, but for us, what we know is what is our call? Not to go and make money, but to go and make disciples. And I believe God has called us to work hard. He says, work hard with your own hands. Do the hard work so that you can do ministry. A lot of people, your job is simply the way that you provide for yourself and your family so that you can fulfill the calling God has on your life. In, in essence, you fundraise so you can do ministry. I mean, you really do, the re and you may enjoy it. I hope you find something you love to do, but in a lot of ways, that provides for your family so that you can also do what God has called you to do. And isn't it cool when the Lord provides both and, where you get to do something that you feel like you're making an impact and somebody pays you to do it? 
But here's the thing. All throughout Scripture, you find people that were bivocational. Actually, they worked full-time in both ministries. They worked full-time in ministry for the Lord and full-time taking care of themselves and their families in another way. But here's what it all boils down to. It's not about the money. You know what it's about? The people. Treasure is truly people. And here's a statement that I've wrestled with for a lot of years as I read Matthew chapter five, six, and seven over and over. But people investment, I believe, is the currency of eternity. And here's what I mean. Jesus said you should lay up treasure in heaven. You ever heard this before? Where moth and rust can't destroy and thieves can't break in and steal. Don't lay up treasures on earth. How do you lay up treasure in heaven? Well, it's people investment. The thing that will go over into eternity with you is what you did with the treasure you had, how you invested that in people, how you love people. We only have, you know, our, our uh, sort of the, uh, the great commandments, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. Those go into eternity with you. People investment is the currency of eternity. Let's finish up the story that Jesus told. The master returns and he calls him to account and it says to the servant whom he entrusted five bags of silver, he came forward with five more and said, master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling a small amount? What? Like I look at that and I'm going, hey, this dude must be loaded. He called five million a small amount. I gave you five million, you gave me 10 million back. He said, so now I'm gonna give you much more and it only makes sense in light of who our heavenly father is, right? It only makes sense in light of what he actually owns and what he is in control of and what he has the ability to pass over to you, to steward. He said, I'll give you many more. Let's celebrate together. And so the servant who received two bags of silver came forward. He said, master, you gave me two bags to invest. I have earned two more. I wanna point this out again. The one with two did not let the envy of the one with five steal his joy. He did what he was called to do with it. He saw his little bit as a lot. Compared to the five million, two's a lot less. He saw his little as a lot and Jesus gave him more. And I think this is a principle we will see. Until you learn to see the little that you do have as a lot, it's a good, there's a good chance God won't give you more. He won't entrust you with more. But as soon as you start seeing what you do have as a lot and you start giving praise for what you do have at that point, it's almost like God will begin to entrust you with more. Look what the master said to the one with two. He said, the master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling the small amount. Again, doesn't seem small to me, but... In light of who your heavenly father is, it's a small amount. So now I'll give you many responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. But then let's look what happened to the guy with the one. The servant with the one bag came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man. Now, Paul's. You gotta remember, Jesus is telling a story here. It's a parable. He's not saying that God is harsh and your heavenly father is harsh, but he's telling a story about a modern day guy, master who would send somebody out or who would go on a trip and hand over his money. He said, I knew you were a harsh man. Maybe he was making an assumption. He really didn't know, he just assumed it. Harvesting crops you didn't plant, gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid. That's actually where the key understanding to this guy is. I was afraid I would lose it, and so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. Now look at the master's response. You wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops where I didn't plant, and you knew I gathered crops I didn't cultivate. Why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, 
even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, for those who do not steward what they have been given well, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That seems harsh, doesn't it? That reference is actually to hell. Throw them out of the presence of the Lord. And it would seem just at a glance, if you only had this, that if you don't invest what you've been given, then you're gonna go to hell. But the truth is, when you get aligned with the Holy Spirit of God working in your life and you acknowledge what you've been given to resource, I don't think you can bury it. And here's the, the beauty of it. Even if you have buried some of what God has given you and you're just dealing with this lurking tension in your life, right now at least, you still have time, no matter where you are. Like you still have breath in your body and you may have regrets and you may go, I need to change some things. How many times have we come to those moments in life of reckoning where there's a realization of, I need to change something about my life. I'm here now, I need to, I'm here now, I need to change something. I don't just need to sit back and wait on it all to end and wait on everything to crash down. I need to take control of the stewardship reins of however many years God gives me left. That's kind of my resolve at this point. I'll be honest, as I was reading this, God kept taking me back to time. What are you doing with your time? There was a time when I worked too much, honestly, all the time, working, 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 no hobbies, no anything else. And so the Lord kind of showed me, not only do you need Sabbath, you need to do something that's outside of work. And so I got to that way. I love ministry. When I was in construction, I love it. I just put my soul, whole self into it. Unfortunately, that can lead to unhealth. And so God has been just wrecking me on time, even recently, I saw this, uh, I read a book recently that talked about Martin Luther. Do you know how he managed his time? He actually marked his days in five-minute increments in prayer every morning. Every five minutes, he knew what he was gonna do with it. I'm going, that's stewardship. I'm not sure I'm there, right? I'm just going, Lord, I don't even know if I'm, if I'm there yet. But I look at the church and I go, some of you guys, God keeps bringing these moments of reckoning to you and you keep making changes and adjustments to be better stewards. But if I can just look at somebody today and just go, is it you that needs to make a change though? To kick this lurking tension out that keeps dread, the, the dread that hangs around you for how much you don't have left or what you haven't done and just go, but God, what am I gonna do with what I do have? I can be an encourager. I can serve someone else. I can pour my life into somebody else. I can write a card. I can give. I can be generous. I can, and it's so cool when the church begins to steward because guess what? We all are better for it. We steward what God has given us. But how many people have buried our callings? I go back to the time I was 13 years old. I knew that the Lord had called me at 13 years old to be a pastor of some kind, like to ministry. But I pushed that away for over 10 years. I ran from it. I ran from the calling. And a lot of my rebellion was just simply I knew what God wanted me to do. And I didn't, wanna, I didn't think I could do it, honestly. It was an insecurity thing. How many of us bury our callings and the Lord has to dig it back up and say, it's time to steward that? Bury our love for others because you've been hurt before. But the elephant can be freed. But here's the thing. Where do you start? Where do you start? So I'm gonna give you three ways that I think you can free this. Here's the first one is take control of your calendar. That's your time. Take control of your calendar. 
You know, for me, there was a season where I read that whole keep the, uh, you know, make the, uh, honor the Sabbath, keep it holy. I, you know, I go, God, that was Old Testament. That's a long time ago. That's 10 commandments. And here's what we find. Jesus did good things on the Sabbath. And so it seems to completely free us, but it never changes the principle though. Even though we're not being judged according to the law, did you know that your body is designed to have a day of rest? And that doesn't mean it's like sleeping in the bed all day. It means that getting away from everything that drains your soul and fill your soul again one day. I know people that take their Sabbath by hiking up on a mountain. I know people that do certain hobbies um, when they go Sabbath, but it should include something that rejuvenates your soul. It may get, be a nap day. It may be a day where you sit a little more still and just let the Lord work in your life and just commune with your heavenly Father. One of the things that I've loved about Sabbath in my own life, and there have been seasons where I've been great at it and seasons where I've been awful at it. But in the good seasons, what you find is six days is long enough to go in the wrong direction. And if you stop and Sabbath, you'll figure it out a lot quicker. But if you never slow down and have a day where you go, know what, God, I'm gonna let you be God today and I'm just gonna be with you. I'm just gonna be with my family. I'm just gonna enjoy this day with, without uh, forcing myself into work. Now, here's the thing. The debt can many times cause us to get to the point where we can't find any freedom if you don't work on that one. But how do you do this? Spend time with God. Believe it or not, you can say no to some things. You know, when you're asked to serve here, I hope you've prayed about it and you go, you know what, I wanna use my gifts to serve here. But for some of you, there are seasons of your life and family where you need to say no to certain things to say, you know what, right now I have to pour in here. And you have to. Another way you can do it, like Martin Luther, he prayed through in five-minute increments, but I would just say open your calendar up. Get your phone out. Open your calendar up before you hit your week this week and pray through it. Go, all right, God, what is at least one thing that I'm gonna do? I'm gonna make the date with myself. I'm gonna make the date with my kids. I'm gonna make the date with my wife, or we're gonna do X, Y, Z, but make your calendar count. Pray through it. You have some tough things coming this week probably. Pray through those things. Those conversations, those hard days at work, pray through those things early on. It'll be crazy how God will help you steward that. And here's what you need to know. If you feel like that your time is all taken, you didn't get here overnight, so don't expect it to end overnight, but you gotta take one step towards freeing this this week. You can do one thing. Now, here's the second thing, is stop neglecting your gifts and abilities. That's your talent. Stop neglecting what God has gifted you with. Don't covet what someone else can do to feel lesser than or envying them, but use what you already have. That may be serving, but it's definitely gonna be a part of the mission that God has called us to, to lead other people to know him, love him, and live new life in them. It's definitely gonna be part of that. Try some things. Some of you have stepped up to lead a small group this semester. Some are serving in kids' ministry this morning that are brand new. There are some that are ushering and some that are greeting here on our campus. Praise the Lord. There are others who have stepped up in a greater role through Project Hope. That is their outlet into the community. But it doesn't have to be organized. There could be other things God's put on your heart. And this is me saying, I don't have to organize it and we don't. If it's on your heart for you to do it or your family to do it, go for it. Go for it. But you've got to stop neglecting your gifts because what will happen is if we recklessly steward, it seems like over time our gifts wane away. They just kind of drift away and we have to come back to the Lord and say, God, I remember when I was passionate, when I thought you were calling me to this, when I thought you were calling me to that. And Lord, I just want to reopen that conversation. Will you bring my heart back there? 
What gifts or the abilities has the Holy Spirit given you for building the kingdom? I don't know if you feel valued or not, but you are. And the last thing is this, start managing your money and investing in the people you love. Start managing your money and investing in the people you love. If it's a debt issue that is plaguing your life, then you may have to get help dealing with that. Start honoring the Lord by being a generous giver. We talk about irrational generosity, but here's what I know. We can't really live there until we get a grip on what God has given us. Stop being so prideful and ask for help. That may be some people's deal. I'm just prideful and I'm gonna suffer all along. Why not let it be known that you need somebody to help you? And so the only way you can ever be irrationally generous is by taking control of what God has given you. Now, your treasure is not just your money, but the people you love, your friends, your family, your spouse. When you look back and you look at how much life you have left, most of your regrets probably center around people, things that you've gone through before. So my encouragement would be stop making regrets and start making memories. If we're truly gonna hear Jesus say, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know at what point I'm gonna enter into the kingdom of faith. I mean, ultimately the presence of Jesus, I don't know. Maybe I'll be in my 70s. Maybe the Lord will come back before that. I, I, don't, I don't know. But what I do know is if we will just grasp stewardship right now and go, God, I don't wanna live in the lurking tensions. I wanna live in freedom. I wanna hear you say, well done. Do you know what? We will only hear, uh, hear him say, well done, when we stewarded, not because we buried what he gave us. And so two responses this morning. First is this, what regret do I need to hand over to Jesus? And the reason I ask this, it's because this lurking tension that's in our lives, the stress that we feel from it, sometimes we can't move forward simply because we've blown it so much in the past. You get to the point that you are of struggle right now simply because you've blown so much time, so much money, you've wasted so much of your resource, and there's this regret that plagues you. So what happens is, when you hear a pastor like this, you tuned me out automatically, you go, no, I don't wanna go there. We can talk about things of the heart and emotions and yeah, but I don't wanna go to this tangible one because here's the deal, I've blown it a lot and I just don't wanna unpack it. Well, I'm not gonna let you go because I don't think the Holy Spirit is until he speaks something to you about this. So here's the thing, to go back there would be go, God, let me deal with my regrets first. The gospel of Jesus, he came and he paid the price for every one of our sins by shedding his blood, suffering on a cross. He got up out of the grave and he says that anyone who would call on him wouldn't just receive forgiveness, but they would receive new life. Anyone who would place their faith in him. New life includes that regret doesn't have to be a shadow of shame that lives with you forever. It means you can find a way out. And so if you have regret, you may have to today go, God, you know there's a regret, Lord, and I just need to open this conversation back up and go, Lord, here it is. And then the next question would be this. What's my next step towards stewardship freedom? I'm not asking you to do everything I said today, but I am asking let the Holy Spirit show you one thing. See, if God's given you one step and you go, that's it, Joe, that's the one. Like, I'm here and I, I, the thing that I have to do is make the rest of my life count. And so here it goes, Lord. Or I'm here right now and I felt like I had forever and I need to get some things straight now. Oh man, I wish I could get to the 18 and 19 and 20 and 21 and 20, 25 year. I wish I could get through to you and go, man, what if you gave it up now? What would the kingdom of God look like if you totally let go here instead of waiting until you get over here where the rest of us are? 
but it takes one small step sometimes towards it. Will you pray with me? So Lord, today, I can't help but feel, God, that you're stirring in this room. And Lord, you're bringing regrets to our minds. And Lord, you're also putting next steps out in front of us how to get free. And so God, I'm just asking you today that the power of the presence of the Spirit in this room, Lord, that you would move. God, that you would give us the courage it's gonna take to step out in our hearts before you and let go and deal with some things and make some hard decisions. So Lord, that's my prayer today. We love you, Jesus. So in the room this morning, down in the theater, I wanna ask you a question. Just with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, is there anybody here that would say, pray for me because I really struggle with stewardship? Just raise your hand up right where you are. Thank you. Raise it up really high, just unashamedly raise it up. There's hands all over the room this morning. You can put them down. Listen, I do want to pray for you right now, but I want to ask you, will you take a step towards the Lord in this area? What do you need to do? Lay down a regret? Maybe you just need to bring your heart to the feet of Jesus. Maybe for the first time, if you've never surrendered your life to him, then listen, you're going to have a helper with stewardship you've never had before if you'll just surrender to him and just go, Jesus, here I am. I surrender my life to you. You can start that right now today. As the band leads us this morning, here's what we want to do. We're going to turn this into a house of prayer. You can pray right where you are in your seat. You can come down to these steps here and pray. Pastor Ben and I will be hanging out down here. If you go, I want somebody to pray over me today. I need help. We'll be here. So, Lord, in this moment, in these few minutes we have together, I pray that you would move. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverbend Church Podcast. If you want more information, please visit our website, riverbendchurch.life.